welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Awesome. Well, I want to jump into some scripture here. Um, I told you it's going to be kind of a different day. Uh, so I'm just going to have a short, um, short message. We're going to jump into a short message. We've been talking about hope and uh, thrill of hope and talking about the hope that comes from God and His Word and uh, His faithfulness to us. And um, actually at the end of this message, we're going to uh, have, do we, do we have the candles ready? We have some candles and a lighter or two. Um, actually, if you want to go ahead and hand out the candles right now, um, just while I'm while I'm talking, you can do that. Uh, we got a candle for each one of us, and at the end of this message, we're gonna cut the lights and uh, we're gonna sing a Christmas hymn together, uh, along with these candles. So, be good for you to have those um, in your hand, and um, and then and then we'll actually light. Uh, we'll light probably one at each end, and then the person who's not lit can get get lit from the person next to them. talking about candles talking about candles um anyway uh uh this by the way next sunday service we're not going to have a regular service like this next sunday we're going to have uh, a movie we're going to show a movie the nativity movie um so uh yeah so next sunday you can come uh with your family 10 a.m it's the day after christmas it's boxing day and uh, we're going to have uh, a movie together. And then also on Christmas Eve, if you want to be a part, I don't know if you have family obligations or not, but on Christmas Eve, we meet here. We have a Christmas Eve service from 5 to 6. So it's just one hour from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Yeah, there we go. Christmas Eve service happening this coming Friday. So, um, yeah, you're welcome to join us for that. And uh, uh, hope if, you're, if you aren't there, hope you have a Merry Christmas. Um, it's getting a little bit cold. Maybe we turn off maybe one of the ACs. It's a delicate balance in Texas because it's winter in the morning, it's summer in the afternoon, and we meet somewhere in between that. So the guys are trying to keep it comfortable for you. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 2. We're just going to read a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 2, some things that stuck out to me. Um, as I'm looking at the Christmas story and I'm looking for hope, uh, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, last week we talked about um, the hope that uh, comes in the dark, the hope that comes in difficult times, um, very much like what Lou is talking about, that God has hope for you in the, in the dark, in the struggle. And we looked at the shepherds, and we looked at Mary and Joseph. Um, they were not in an uh, easy time in their life. They were in a difficult stage, a difficult place. And um, they, were, they were there, according to Scripture, while they were there. And so you might be there, and uh, other people aren't there for you. Um, but God sees you right where you're at, and He's ready to give hope to you while you're there. Um, the week before that, we talked about, uh, really before the Christmas story in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, about the hope that God has in spite of our past. Um, because uh, Jeconiah is a guy who had a rough past. And Joseph is a son or a, a grandson, a great, 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 whatever grandson of the cursed Jeconiah. So Joseph was cut off from the promises of God. Um, but God has a wonderful way of redeeming our broken past. God has a wonderful way of bringing together 
fulfilling his promise in spite of our mistakes. <laughs> and so if you missed that, you can go back, you can go online and listen to that. And so we've talked about hope um, for the past, hope for the present. Now, now I want to talk to you just briefly about hope for the future. And specifically future generations, that God, God wants to do something in your life that's not just for you. And it's not just for what you're going through right now. It's actually for your children and your children's children and your children's 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 children. It's the whole Russian doll thing, right? Um, no, uh, it's for you, for, for you and for future generations. God has a, a family plan. God, God is thinking not just about right here and right now, but he is thinking about what's coming next, what's coming after you. And so I want to talk to you about hope for the future. And, and actually, I was, I was thinking about this, and man, I, I think in 2022, it'd be cool to, for Ro and I maybe to do like a parenting sermon series. We've never done a parenting sermon series. We did a parenting small group and really enjoyed that about shepherding a child's heart and helping the child's heart. And so um, for those of you that are not parents, I still think this could be very applicable to you um, because in some way, shape, or form, we're all hopefully not just living for ourselves right now. Hopefully we're all trying to leave some kind of legacy, some kind, something that will remain. And for those of us that have children, it's incredibly imperative um, that we invest in those little lives so that the Word of God, the nature of God, the character of God, the stories of God, the history of God can continue on to the next generation. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit today, and I, and I, and I see this hope for future generations in this passage right here in Matthew chapter 2, where it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east... Uh, uh, many scholars believe that these are from some Persian empire in the east. Um, and I think that's interesting. So they came from the east, east of Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? By the way, that's also what uh, Pilate put over Jesus' cross when, when they crucified him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, it's, that jumped out to me, that word worship, because that's the first time in Jesus' earthly ministry that he is receiving worship. It's the first time that people, from my knowledge, worship him. Now, the, the shepherds came and beheld him, and they were amazed by him. And they went on to tell others, and others were amazed. Uh, Mary and Joseph, Mary, it says, she was amazed by the things that happened, and she hid them in her heart. She, she treasured them in her heart. Uh, but there's no necessary revelation of anybody worshiping him. In fact, there's really not many times in the New Testament where people worship Jesus, period. Even though he is the Son of God, and even though he does many amazing miracles, there are times when people thank him, right? When he heals the ten lepers, and one of them comes back to thank him. And there are different times, and, but there are specific moments in Scripture where the Bible says that somebody worships Jesus. And I, I, I don't know, this word worship just jumped out to me because, because, one, I think our culture is a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of worshiping Jesus. We were watching The Chosen, and uh, the, our, our kids have been watching it um, as a part of their homeschooling in the morning. They watch one episode of The Chosen. And for those of you that haven't seen The Chosen, it's actually a really cool depiction of, um, uh, of the gospel stories. 
uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're acting it out in sort of a modern way. And they're pretty good actors, and it's a really neat take on it. Um, but naturally, as a pastor, I watch it with a little bit of a critical eye. I'm like, okay, let's see, let's see if they're getting this right. And, and, it's, and it's interesting to me to see how they interpret, one, how they interpret uh, uh, the text and play it out in real life in a way that, okay, the, the text doesn't exactly say that, but that is the gist of what the text is saying, and perhaps the conversation went something like that. Uh, but it's also interesting to see the modern influence over it, to see uh, a 2021 version of Christianity kind of layered over the Gospels. And so uh, the other day, the kids were watching one episode where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is the Pharisee who wants to meet with Jesus in secret. And, and there is some, uh, in the text, there's this back and forth dialogue where Jesus is revealing what it is to be born again. And Nicodemus is digging into that. He's asking good questions. And so anyway, it's a really neat conversation. And so I'm watching The Chosen and, and Jesus and Nicodemus. But the Bible doesn't say how the conversation ends. It just kind of leaves you wondering, well, did Nicodemus follow Jesus? Did he not follow Jesus? We don't really know. And so in the portrayal of The Chosen, they also kind of leave that as a question mark, which I thought was cool. But, but there is like a, a strong sense that Nicodemus does in fact believe that Jesus is the Christ, at least in the chosen. That's how they portray it. And Nicodemus, because of that, like he kneels down and like he kisses, he kisses Jesus's hand. He takes his hand and he kisses his hand. And in the chosen, Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing? Don't do that. And, uh, uh, and instead he raises Nicodemus up and hugs him, which is a very modern take, right? I, I think we are sort of awkward or we are uncomfortable with the idea of adoration or worship we're more along the lines of that you know, Jesus would rather hug it out, you know, rather than have us like bow down and worship him. Because it is kind of weird when you think about a human. I would be uncomfortable if somebody came if, here in church, if somebody went up to somebody else and started worshiping somebody. It's a human. It's kind of odd. It's like you're, this guy's worthy of glory and honor, and he created all things, and all things are through him and to him. Whoa, okay, this is kind of strange, right? Because this is a human who's standing in front of you. And so in Scripture, I think that's why a lot of times people did not worship Jesus. He wasn't revealed in, in his full glory and his power. He wasn't coming in the way that he He's going to come when he comes the second time, right? The, the trumpet's going to be blown. The, the sky is going to split. He's going to come down on a white horse, right? And he's going to re be revealed in all of his power, according to the book of Revelation and the Thessalonians and a couple other references. It's like, okay, he's going to come in a very different way next time. But this time he came as a baby and he grew up as a regular guy, a regular man. And, and many did not worship him, but the wise men did. And that what, that's what stuck out to me as very odd. Not only did they worship him, they worshiped him at the most sort of un, unworthy time of his life. Like, he's literally in diapers. Uh, this is, he's probably about 8 to 14 months old at this point when they came to worship him. The dude can't even use the restroom by himself. <laughs> the little guy, you know, he's, he's Gunner running around there, you know, grabbing stuff. Yeah, Gunner's a little older, but I'm just thinking, I guess a, a year and a half ago or so, and Gunner was running around. Like, you know, he's, he's running around. He's, he's pulling his sister's hair, you know. He's, uh, he's, he's being a boy. He's, he's, a, he's a little... 12, 13, 14 month old boy. I don't know 
how they decided to worship him, but it's interesting that they worshiped him at, at a season in his life when he hadn't walked on water, he hadn't healed anybody, he hadn't risen from the dead, he hadn't raised anybody from the dead, he hadn't healed any blind eyes. He actually hadn't done anything except, you know, burp, drink, poop, burp, drink. But like, that's kind of his routine. He just figured out how to sleep through the night. <laughs> and they worshiped him. And so as, as, as I look at the wise men, one, I see just a great example of what real worship is. That real worship is not always Thanksgiving, even though Thanksgiving is wonderful. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he has done. But real worship is acknowledging who he is, whether he does anything for you lately, whether he's done anything. Because there's going to be a season and time in your life, Lou was talking about, you're going to wonder, is God doing anything? Is he even aware of me? Is he even here? Does he even know my name? Does he know what I'm going through because I'm suffering so much? Right? And so, plus we have real short memories as humans. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard sometimes for us to remember what God has done. And if your worship is based on what God has done, then it's going to be kind of an up and down worship. It's going to be a hot and cold worship. It's going to be a here and then not here worship. It's there and then it's not there. And it's, it is on and off. But, but true worship is based on who Jesus is, not on what he has done. And this is what they said. They said, we have come to worship. He's been born the king of the Jews. So he is the king, even though he hasn't ascended to any throne. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't conquered anything. He hasn't had any great victories yet, but simply who he is. And that's what David said, right? David said, come into his gates with thanksgiving. So that, that's good. Into his courts with praise. Be, 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 be thankful unto him. That's thanksgiving and bless his name. And then David said, because the Lord is God. And so all worship, even though there is thanksgiving and there is thankfulness for what he has done, right? David said, I love the Lord because he heard my cry and he inclined his ear to me. So, okay, yes, we don't love God for nothing. We, he does stuff. He blesses us. He is there for us. He is faithful to us. Absolutely, thanksgiving is a part of it. But as you get closer and closer to the, the core of worship, at the center of worship is not necessarily what God has done for you. It is who God is as, a, as, as, just, as worthy of worship. That He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. He is eternal. He is of supreme value. And this is actually really helpful for, 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 for us humans in, 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 in the 21st century. Uh, because so much of 21st century uh, thinking and, and mentality is to place humanity at the center and to place humanity as the most important thing and to place humanity as the thing which is most valuable and then God comes alongside that. God helps humanity. But, but, but what the, the problem with that is when you place humanity at the middle, you place yourself really as the most important thing, you know that you are not the most important thing in your heart. You know that you need something bigger than yourself. And so you're still searching. So even people who believe that, that there's this innate goodness within them and that, and that, that they are the, the center of the universe, they're still looking for external validation because they understand that they are not enough, that they are not in control, that they cannot keep their spouses alive, their uncles alive, their family. They cannot stop themselves from catching COVID. They cannot stop anybody from catching. And apparently you can't even get a vaccine that actually stops people from catching this thing. Like they, they, at some point humanity realizes I need something else because I'm not in control of my life. 
I have this illusion of control, but then something yanks that illusion away from us. And then we turn to yoga, right? To, 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 to try to get in touch deeper with a deeper sense of ourselves. And some yoga can be helpful, right? To be, in terms of focusing and stretching, all that stuff. Um, uh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, it's, it's, some of that is very helpful. But, but at the end of the day, like you, it's this idea that something is greater and bigger than us, that's placed there by, by, by reality. God is bigger and greater than us, and he wants us to turn to him. So whatever you're going through in your life, if it drives you to search for something bigger and greater, that's a good thing. That's God saying, hey, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And even if, even if he hasn't done something for you, supposedly, if you don't recognize everything that he's done, the fact that who he is, that he is higher, that he is greater, that he is all-powerful, that he actually is in control. You say, well, I don't like the way he's running the world. Well, okay, fine. But he is in control. And there is great comfort in that when you read his word and you see that even the difficult things, even the painful things, God has purpose in those things. God has, is weaving his story throughout the losses and the wins and the joys and the sorrows, through the funerals and the weddings. He's working his will and his way in our lives. Then we, then we can trust him and we can sit back and we can rest in his faithfulness. And this is what they do. The wise men say, look, Jesus may be hasn't done anything for us but it, we are going to worship him for who he is and this is by the way when, when you come to city chapel we always have a time of worship at the beginning uh that's that, that that's what we're doing we are focusing on who he is we are singing today about the joy of the Lord is my strength. We're singing that because, well, that's what Scripture says. But we're also singing that to remind ourselves that His joy is what gives us strength. And so He is our hope. And so we're going to rely on Him. So we're going to look to Him. And that's, that's why we have singing at the beginning of before we preach. Because as a community, collectively, we want to uh, declare these things. We want to remind ourselves about these things. And we want to enter into a place of worship where we lift our hands, which is an act of worship. Uh, it's an act of, of surrender. But it's also an act of celebration. When we, every, time, every time we score a touchdown, uh, people lift their hands, right? Because they're excited about that. Which, which U of M gets excited on Saturdays because they get to lay, raise their hands a lot. Detroit Lions do not get to celebrate very much like this but when you celebrate you raise your hands and that's what we're doing we're celebrating the victories of God we're celebrating the person of God we're celebrating the king we're saying that we love him and that we exalt him and we lift him up and so when you come in on Sundays and you see people with their hands up like it, it, it don't don't worry it's not weird this is just this is just what Christians have been doing for thousands of years we've been coming we've been singing and none of us are good singers either by the way, I mean, a, a couple of us are, but most of us, we don't, we can't, couldn't carry a tune in a basket, and we're not working on becoming a choir, like, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, we are making this, and, 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 and even psychologists will tell you there's something bonding about people who sing together. There's, there is, there's just something bonding about people singing the same stuff together at the same time. Uh, you know, you go to a concert with somebody, you're right, and you sing along, you know the songs. There's something bonding about that, even if you're not good at singing. Well, the same is true in church. As we come together, we're wanting to bond with each other, but we're also wanting to declare 
the, the person of God, who he is, and sing that over ourselves. So we raise our hands, so we worship him. And by the way, like I, I would encourage you that when you come into worship, that you set aside the, the scorecard of what God has or hasn't done for you lately. If you could set that aside, your worship would be so much more pure, so much more easy. You wouldn't have to struggle and be like, I don't know if I really... No, no, no. Just set all that aside and then simply focus on who he is. If these guys can worship a slobbering... <laughs> uh, they didn't even have diapers back in the day, so it, it was messy back then. If these guys could worship this king who hasn't ascended to any throne, hasn't done anything, he's learning how to walk right now. If they could worship him for who he is, surely we... It's so important. If you can worship God in the infancy stage... If you can worship God in the unfulfilled promise stage, when his word is just barely even saying goo goo gaga, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you can worship God when you can't even understand what the word is saying to you, when you can't even perceive, you don't, they, he doesn't give you a full-on plan and tell you, yes, I came from my father uh, uh, way out there in heaven and I am now here. Like he wasn't a toddler who was like extra weird. He was a regular toddler. It's regular baby. But if you but that's the key. If you can worship God when he doesn't look worthy, when he doesn't act the way you think a worthy king would act. And, and, and these guys are worshiping him, and they're coming from the east. They're worshiping him. Both uh, the two things that stuck out to me was their timing, as well as the truth that they that they had the the truth that they brought it said he they said that they saw his star in the east and so for thousands of years people have been uh talking about what is the star of bethlehem what did it look like what what could it have been and now we kind of have the technology to look back on some constellations and things that happened 2,000 years ago and there is there is a very interesting phenomenon that happened in 3 BC uh, around the same time that that the census was taken because we have history to show that Luke's census that Luke talks about in uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2 that that did in fact happen historically that that Quirinius did in fact he was governor over Syria during this time when this particular census went out to all of not the entire world but the known world the Roman world and so we know that right around 3 BC the census is going out and in August of 3 BC there was an interesting phenomenon that happened uh, in in the sky in the night sky there was there was two I guess they weren't it's not actually a star there was two um, planets I guess that that got very very close to each other uh, actually they came they, they would have sort of covered each other three three different times um, this is probably over the course of a few days. And uh, the one planet was what uh, the ancients called Regulus, um, which was the regal or the royal planet or the, the, the planet of kings. And the other planet was Jupiter. Jupiter is much larger than Regulus. And so Jupiter was called Jupiter because Jupiter was the lead god in, in Roman mythology. In paganism, Jupiter was the god that was over all the other gods. He was the protector of the other gods. He was the he was he was the big the big G god, and so you had in August of that year you had uh, Jupiter, the god over all gods, coming into contact with Regulus, the royal or or uh, kingly uh, planet, and those two came together. In other words, there was going to be a godlike king, 
or a, a king that was going to be over all other kings, a king of kings, maybe. And, 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 and yet that alone, most astrologers believe, would not have been enough to tip off the wise men that, that something massive was happening. And so actually it's about 40 weeks after that, interestingly enough, about 40 weeks after that in June of the following year, um, you had those, those, those two planets doing their little dance. And then you also had Venus come into the same orbit and, and intersect with those two. So you had three. And there were three gifts that they brought, which I think is interesting. And there are also, there's God is three in one. And so you had these three stars coming together. And you had, you had uh, Jupiter, which is, which is the, the, the god of all gods, the, the, the king of all kings. And then you had the king in Regulus. And then you have Venus. And Venus was named Venus because of the goddess of love and beauty. And so now you have, now you have the god who is also a king, whose kingdom is the kingdom of love. And I don't know if the three gifts correspond to those three stars or not. I'm not really sure. I haven't researched that. You might want to look into that. But these guys, like they had, and that was a truth to them. That was an illumination to them that this is who he is. And so they came and they saw a baby and they weren't put off by the baby because they knew who he was. And if you could really understand the greatness of God, number one, the fact that he is sovereign over all, you wouldn't be put off by the way he's acting right now. You would say, wait, he's still worthy of worship even if I don't understand what's going on right now. And if you understood his, his, his kingship, and this is his rule and his reign, you wouldn't be put off by what he's doing right now. But in also if you understood the kingdom of love, if you understood that everything he does is out of love, that everything he does is because of love, that everything he does is in love, you would understand that there is a purpose to your pain. You would understand that, okay, he's still worthy of worship even when I'm suffering. Because love has allowed this to happen to me. I don't understand it. And I, I don't think that God does those things either. He doesn't put COVID on people. He doesn't, he does, but he does allow these things to happen. So love, whatever comes into my life, has been signed off on by love. The God of love has said, okay, Harry, Harry can handle that. And then... No, Harry can't handle that, but I'm going to be there with him. My grace is sufficient for Harry. Because there's some things that you can handle. And there's some things he says, yeah, you need, to, you need to just deal with that, Harry. Just, just suck it up. And there's other things that's just bigger than Harry. It's bigger than Lou. It's bigger than Rocky. It's bigger than Roe. It's bigger than us. And he says, but my grace is sufficient for that. And everything that comes into our life, God, love has said, okay, I'll let that in. And yet these guys, and this, this is what I want, the, the, the final point I want to talk to you about, is these guys, these, these wise men from the east, they're in some Persian kingdom somewhere. And they see these stars, and obviously they would, they would recognize God, whatever their version of God is. I don't know how they would call him, but he's doing something. And he is coming in, he's intersecting with some kind of royal line. Some kind of human royal line. And then, not only that, but this kingdom is going to be different than all other kingdoms. All these other kingdoms were about power. They were about money. They were about position. They were about authority. They were about uh, influence. But this kingdom is about love. And they said, aha, this is the king of the Jews. Now, whoa, how did they get there? I know about you, but when I read that, I was like, the king of the Jews. That's really specific. Like, there's, there wasn't a lot of Jews on the planet. There's not even a lot of Jews on the planet right now. 
there's more Americans, right? So if you're, if you're guessing in terms of the king of a particular country or the president of, a, like, you know, maybe China. There's a lot of Chinese people. Maybe Asia, maybe India. Maybe, but, 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 but Jews, like, that's a teeny, tiny little country in the middle of the Middle East, like, that it doesn't have that many people. How did these wise men or astrologers from some Eastern Persian Empire attach a massive God connecting with a royal lineage, reigning over a kingdom of love. How did they attach that to this particular ethnicity? Judaism, Jews. So I don't, I don't have the answer for that. I'm just going to leave you in wonder and, and asking that question. But I do have a theory. And a friend of mine here in Austin, he was actually, he was, on, he was on Facebook a little while ago, and he was talking about this. And it lines up actually with what I want to preach uh, for the next month, really, for all of January. I want to preach on the book of Daniel. We're going to look at the Old Testament. And I'm not going to go verse by verse because it'll take way too long. We're just going to look at Daniel's life because Daniel had an incredible way. Daniel was kidnapped. Let's just start, start there. Daniel was kidnapped from his home. His parents would have been taken as slaves. All of his friends were taken as slaves. He was forced into a new culture. He was brought into the palace. He was given a new name. They gave him a new name. They tried to rearrange his, his identity, because that's what your name is, and I, I'll get into that here in a couple weeks. But Daniel was, talk about being mistreated, incredibly mistreated. Uh, he would have been abused. Uh, he would have uh, had to become, and he became a counselor to the king. But what's interesting about Daniel's story is that Daniel had such an, an amazing way of balancing um, the truth with grace. In other words, he never compromised the truth, but he remained compassionate to the fallen, messed up Babylon that he was a part of. And for those of us that live in 21st century America, one of the biggest questions that we have as Christians is how can I remain compassionate to people around me without compromising the truth of God's word? How can I be compassionate and not compromise? How can I hold to what the Bible teaches about me and my life and my family? How can I live that out without condemning other people and telling them that they're wrong and they're going to hell? How can I effectively walk this tightrope? Well, Daniel did it. Daniel did it time and time again, actually. You can, you can, you can read where uh, even when Daniel had difficult things to say, right? Uh, God would, God, like for instance, the king had this dream and uh, it, would, it, it scared the king so much that the king said, all right, this is a serious dream. I need all of my astrologers, the guys that watch the stars. I need all of them to, to, to think about this overnight and then in the morning tell me what my dream was first off, and then what it means. Now, how could a human know what another human dreamt without you telling me? Well, you, you can't know that. And the king knows that. The king says, this is so important. I'm not going to let you cheat, and I'm not going to tell you the dream, and then you make up some random story. No, no. You need to tell me what my dream was. Well, this is impossible. But God reveals it to Daniel, because God is the God of all gods. He is the king of all kings. He knows the hearts and minds of people. And so God reveals the dream to Daniel. And it's not a positive and encouraging Caleb dream. It's not. It's, it's not. And Daniel starts off, he does two things. One, Daniel advocates for the other astrologers. 
He says, if I tell you the dream, will you spare their lives? You mean the guys who want to throw you in the lion's den? Because later on in, in Daniel's story, it's those guys. You mean the guys who are a part of this evil culture? You mean the guys who are messed up? You mean the guys who look down on Daniel all the time because of his weird ancient beliefs? Yes, yes. Daniel advocates for their safety. He almost, it's almost like he cares for these people. <laughs> because he does. And then Daniel stands before the king and he says, King, I wish this message was for your enemies. What? The guy who kidnapped you? The guy who, who killed your family? The guy, like... You wish this, this, this negative message was for his enemies? It's almost like he cares for that evil person sitting there. It's so interesting because our culture pulls us one way or the other. We either like fully compromise and just every, everything's okay and, and everybody's okay or go the other way and we need to storm the White House and get this guy out of there and get that guy over there and like we're, our way is right and everybody else is wrong. It's like we, we don't have a balance anymore of actually caring for somebody and speaking truth at the same time. Daniel deeply cares for this guy who, who by, all, by all accounts, he should not care for. He should be bitter toward. He should be angry toward. He should say, hey, king, if I got a good message for you, God's about to destroy you. Your kingdom is going down because you're so prideful and arrogant. I mean, like, he could have just mopped the floor with King Nebuchadnezzar in this dream, but he doesn't. He says, I wish this was for your enemies, king. But this is what God's saying. And then he says, hey, and this is actually what you can do about it. <laughs> and, and Daniel lives his life. He started his ministry. I don't know. I think he was like uh, pretty young when he started his ministry. And for about 80, 70 years, he lives his life in front of multiple pagan kings. And he learns to love each and every one of them without joining them in their idolatry. And in their sin, he maintains what God has called him to do, and he loves these people that are in front of him. And I just think that that's powerful. <laughs> I just think that's unique. I just think that's something that we need to learn. And so in January, we're going to be looking at how Daniel does that. How does Daniel maintain his identity as a child of God and live in a world where people are not 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 just not doing that but they are opposed to that they are they are they are against that they are aggressive toward this concept this idea how does he do that because what i see is that daniel does it very effectively and because of that he is promoted the king gives him favor even the fellow astrologers all admire him and my guess is that the fellow astrologers are like so uh, what do you know that we don't know what's going on with you? And, and this is just a theory. But I don't, I don't think it's any mistake that 500 years after Daniel passes away, and Jews start, some Jews start returning back to Jerusalem, that 500 years later, there are some astrologers from the school of astrology in some Persian country, maybe Babylon, who see a star that and they recognize the power above all powers, the king above all kings, and a love above all loves. And they say, wait a minute, we've heard about this kind of God. We've 
years ago, wasn't there, wasn't there some, 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 what, what was he? He was a Jew, right? Yeah, he kept talking about his God. And Daniel loved us well. And Daniel displayed the power of God incredibly. Even when he was in the lion's den, there was a God above all God. And Daniel also displayed the kingship, that, that, that the king of God was over all kings. And, and, and 500 years later, so I'm just thinking that perhaps God wants to do something in your life that maybe 500 years later, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, let's, let's, let's start with 20 years later. Your kids are going to say, yeah, mom used to talk about that. Because the goal is to recognize I was talking to uh, somebody this week about you can't, you won't value what you don't see. And so if you don't see God working in your life, you're not going to value him. But man, if we could start something where we, where we talk about our God, where we display his love and his power, and we then suddenly when he does show up in people's lives, they say, well, yeah, so-and-so used to talk about that. So-and-so, that, so-and-so was, was telling me the other day about that. And this is, my, this is my hope for us, that perhaps in our own families, of course, but even beyond our families, in the workplace, at school, that we, that we, could, that we could so live the, a life of compassion without compromise. That people look at us and say, whenever they see God, then they say, yep, that's, that's the God that Harry and Roe were talking about. He's all-powerful, and he's love. <laughs> he's all-knowing, and he's all-loving, and he's beautiful. And so we're going to be diving into that in January. And, and really a part of that is, too, we're also going to look at the way that Daniel um, ate. When Daniel really wanted to hear from God, he went on what we call a Daniel fast. And so starting January 9th, part of our reconnecting, our connecting with God. See, the compassion that we have for the world can't come from ourselves. We have to receive that compassion from the heart of God, from the heart of the Father. So we must... Every, every January, we always take 21 days to spend time connecting with God. We call it prayer and fasting. And so we're going we're gonna to let you know more about that. But I want to tell you right now, because I'm not going to see most of you until the new year. Um, get ready for January 9th. On January 9th, we're going to start praying and fasting. And actually, we're going to have times of prayer here in the building every night, Monday through Friday, for those three weeks. You don't have to come every night. But if you come once a week, I promise it'll change, it'll change you. And, uh, and uh, we're going to be fasting, and we're going to be putting stuff out on Facebook and via text message and on our website about ways to fast. And we're going to be talking about how to do the Daniel fast. The Daniel fast is basically where you, where you give up everything that's good, and you only, you, only, you only eat vegetables and, like, whole wheat. Like, vegetables and whole wheat things and fruit and nuts and, yeah. So you live like a squirrel. That's what you do. And no sugar, no coffee, no all this stuff. And um, so all the stuff I live on, you, you, you lay it aside for 21 days. And Daniel did this. Uh, and it does. It helps you reconnect with God. I love this Christmas season, but man, uh, my flesh loves this Christmas season. Because I eat a lot of good stuff. Uh, I hang out with a lot of people I like to hang out with. But my spirit is often uh, crowded out in this season. I don't know if you've noticed it, but you get so busy running from this to that, from that to that, from that party to that party. Make sure you bought gifts for the so-and-so. And your body is so busy, but your spirit is so dormant. 
not doing anything. It's so lazy. It's so, it's so ignored. And so in January, what we do in order to help reset our lives for the rest of the year, we say, wait a minute, okay, uh, I understand the Christmas season is crazy and we have obligations and family and all of that, but man, let's, let's reset. Let's start January connecting with God, uh, re-engaging our spirit man, uh, denying our flesh, telling it to shut up for a minute, okay? You already had all the sweets you need in December, like you're fine, like you're not going to die. Uh, you and and now's the time to connect with God. And so that's what we're going to be doing in January. I'm going to get we're going to give you a whole week, the whole first week of January just to watch U of M win the the the, the bowl there on, the, on on New Year's Day and um anyway and uh one more step in the national championship. Eat, eat eat all the leftovers you want, get it all finished and then on January 9th um we're going to start as a church. And I would like for all of us to pray about what God might want us to fast. Some of us can't fully fast stuff because uh, diabetes or different things. There's dietary restrictions. But um, the good news is you, we, we all can give uh, fast something. We can lay something down. And um, uh, Daniel does a great job of that. And so we're going to be looking at that. And so um, just as we close out the service today, I would like for us to, to take those candles. And uh, if the worship team could, could join me up here, uh, we're going to just sing a, a Christmas worship song together you can just stay seated right where you're at and um if you if you hit the blackout button back there uh you'll be able to see the candles a little bit better and um, you can sing along if you know the words uh <laughs> even if you don't you just kind of mumble it yeah that works um well, let's just spend a little time remembering uh the night that Jesus was born, the holy night. And Father, we do, we come before you, we ask that just even as we're lighting these candles, uh, this is a symbolic, of course, of the light of the world that entered into our space. Uh, not only that, but it's also symbolic of the light that we might light in our lives, that our kids might be able to see, that our community might be able to see. That even in the dark, uh, even in difficult times like a pandemic, that we can shine the light of a God who is fully powerful and fully loved, who deeply loves broken people like us, who deeply cares for our situation. He's there to help us in our time of need. 